Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mass Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. What is up, guys? We are here today approximately about 22 hours, roughly, after the NBA trade deadline was sealed off at 2 p.m. Central Time yesterday. We are here to discuss the Mavericks not making any moves. It's going to be more of a brief podcast, just kind of getting our overarching thoughts on the state of affairs in terms of what the Mavericks front office decided in regards to them not making moves or if nothing was available to be had. We'll look at one reported move as well, um, that being Matisse Thybul for a first-round pick that did not go through, but Mavericks were discussing with Philadelphia. Uh, the Mavericks also just re-signed Chris Silva to a second-day, uh, second 10-day contract. I wouldn't read too much into it because they still have the flexibility to operate within the buyout market, even, you know, they can just release him right away or they can release somebody else, but that is noteworthy and did want to mention it. And, you know, on top of all of this, of course, though, we're going to be talking about guys that the Mavericks could maybe look into getting in the buyout market and what the direction of the team is from here. How serious about them are the Mavericks about contending, you know, Kyrie, there could be a shelf life here, given that he could be gone in the off season, just due to the fact that, you know, look at his previous stops. Um, there's no guarantee that he signs here. We we obviously hope he do he does, but the reason that he left the Nets was because he wasn't getting that, you know, full extension that he wanted, he, there, or there wasn't that guarantee that he was going to be able to resign for that full dollar amount. You know, that proposed four year, almost two hundred million dollar contract in the offseason. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that and how the Mavericks should kind of operate around that because. The, t- the product that they put on the court to close this season and how far they get in the playoffs could definitely affect some of the ramifications in terms of Kyrie staying or not. So we're going to be getting all into that today. And of course, we'll be back tonight to cover the Mavericks versus Kings game round one. They are playing a home and home back to back and the Mavericks will be back in sa- uh, they'll be playing once again tomorrow night, um, Saturday night as well. They're playing in Sacramento, I believe, right, Jern? Yeah, they are playing in Sacramento, I believe, at like 9 o'clock, I think. Yes, so we'll be covering both of those. Um, Absolute worst-case scenario, we'll we'll be back Saturday night, but I presume we'll be able to, um, you know, we're up for the challenge. I think we're going to podcast on on both of the uh, home-and-home games. So we'll be back for you guys for that. But before we get into this podcast here, here's an ad from our sponsor, Anchor. All right, Jaron, so getting into it, the Mavericks – after that 2 p.m. Central Time clock struck, had not done anything yesterday as of February 9th. They do not make any more moves at the trade deadline besides the Kyrie Irving and Marcus Morris swap for Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith in a first um, and a 2029 first-round pick and two second-round picks. They do not do anything in terms of making another trade. What was your reaction at face value? For me personally, I was heavily anticipating that last sort of hour or two to see if they were going to do anything. I know Tim McMahon had come out with the report on the ESPN ESPN trade deadline show that the Mavericks, it, that if he was Christian Wood or Tim Hardaway Jr., he would be sweating right now, that he would be um, definitely in the hot seat thinking that he might, that 
they might get traded, but they ended up not getting moved. Christian Wood on Twitter, he, he went into Twitter afterwards and he uh, tweeted out to the world that he said, beat y'all trade rumors and with some emojis. So what was your whole reaction to the situation in regards to the Mavericks not doing anything? Do you think they should have done something or do you think it's kind of dependent on if a move was in place for them or not that would have been beneficial? Yeah, I think uh, especially post Kyrie trade, I was expecting uh, a move to be made. I think that's pretty obvious. Like this team has its obvious holes. Uh, I I don't think we have to go over those right now. Um, And I was expecting the Mavs to at least attempt to fill it. Um, I know that there's that one trade that came out about Matisse Dybul. Uh, That's absolutely hogus if that was the case, if Philadelphia thinks they were getting that. But outside of that, um, the fact that the Mavericks didn't make a move, I I don't know if that's content. I don't know if the view, the league views Tim Hardaway and Christian Wood as that much of a negative asset. Um, like, I really don't know the answer to that. I think if the Mavericks could have sustained a few more second-round draft picks just throughout the years trading seconds, if they could have sustained a few more, because just the volume at which seconds were going off the board left and right uh, yesterday were honestly it was pretty crazy to see because you were seeing guys getting traded for five second-round picks, three second-round picks, back-to-back. Uh, it was pretty crazy to see, but I think if the Mavs could have sustained more than one uh, second round pick, we may have seen a different person in a Mavericks jersey. But with that being said, we don't know. Um, it, it was definitely, I guess, disheartening to see all the big names that we had on our board going off. Uh, it seemed like every hour there was a good dent in you know our board of list a list of names that we were going after. Uh, first it was Jay Crowder, of course. And then, you know, I, I got a last second hope that it would be Mason Plumlee, the sort of a Charlotte, sort of a Charlotte trade. Um, and he went to the Clippers, of course. And that, that was kind of where I mentally accepted that this team wasn't going to do anything. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. That, that was the one that I was like, I just like, okay. All right. Uh, cause I, I think that was 12 minutes before the deadline be, mm-hmm. deadline ended. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't really like, yes, this is tough to watch because this team, they needed to make moves. They didn't. And now I think there's a real shot that Kyrie could be somewhere else in the offseason, assuming we don't make a late playoff run. But at the end of the day, this team is still better. If you just take away the Kyrie trade, this team is still better. They have their holes. They have their sort of defects. Uh, but still, this team is better. Um, I guess you just have to look to the buyout market. Um, I know we'll go over that later, but there's really not a whole lot of names that you can to to fill up the the big holes in this roster, other than Nerlens Noel, who fills up that rim protecting role. However you view him, uh, but outside of that, I, I just I was a little disheartened, and I, I mean I don't think there's really any other words than that. I, I still I was definitely a little more mad at face value, and as it sunk in a few hours after trade deadline, I was like, okay, like how do we move on from here and how do we get better? And I, I still think this team got better. I, I really do think that, but this team could have been a lot better and I don't think they decided to take that leap. And that's the only thing that frustrates me. Yeah, no, I completely concur with you. And I, I think that what you alluded to really is going to be contingent upon most fans perspective of this. And that's if the Mavericks didn't do anything out of contentment for thinking that their roster is good enough and that they're going to be able to uh, basically, you know, hold, they're going to be able to tread water and, you know, go farther 
and everyone everyone thinks they can with the this roster. They're not going to succumb to the you know the defensive gaps that it has you know regarding the lack of perimeter defense and the lack of a rim protector. You know this Kyrie Irving by himself just transcends all of that. I don't know necessarily if I'm of the opinion on that, but I guess I get the argument to be made there if that's what the Mavericks front office was going for, even if I don't agree with it. Now, I think that's obviously going to be where most fans would get the most mad at. But if the Mavericks just simply didn't have the wherewithal to make a trade because Tim Hardaway Jr. and Christian Wood's value is just so low, then, I mean, I don't know. I guess we just can't complain about that. It's a it's a buyer's market, and if, if there was no market for them, like, what are we going to do, right? Like, you know, trade a first just to get off them to, to get some sort of, like, equal value play. I, I mean, I get the argument with maybe Tim, but with Christian Wood, I mean, you at least want, like, I guess something capable in return. I don't know. It, it really depends as we, as we continue to go along with the rest of the season and maybe more things dissipate. I'm like Tim Cato or McMahon regarding what the Mavericks thought process was at the deadline and the deals that were there and couldn't be made or could be made. I think that's going to constitute how frustrated a lot of fans are. Cause obviously there's that sort of postpartum deadline despair that one goes through when the expectation was for something to happen after everything was being so heavily reported post Kyrie and that the Mavericks, you know, we're going to go all in. And I think the, the sentiment between all of us fans and us on this podcast was mm-hmm. that they should go all in. Like that was um, definitely the prerogative that I think a lot of people carried. So for them not to do that, there was obviously a sort of stark disappointment at the, you know, right after everything kind of went down, but the more and more you look at it, it's like, okay, like, what exactly could they have done? And we're, we'll just not know the answer to that till more details come out. And as more details uh, dissipate and make their rounds and we find more things out, then I think we can make more of an informed opinion regarding what they should or shouldn't have done at the deadline. But, you know, obviously if they had like, you know, actual, you know, just a plethora of assets to go make moves and, and they were just kind of, you know, caught with their pants down, not doing anything and, it was noticeable and there's like no sort of denying it. Like, Oh, I don't know what Tim Hardaway Jr. or Christian Woods market value is like if they were just, you know, if they were primed and ready to be able to move and the Mavericks just couldn't simply do it. That'd be a different topic of discussion, but we're dealing with players that whose value has definitely been questionable to say the least. So I guess that our answer kind of lies in, in terms of my, how mad I am about everything in terms of what, details dissipate as we move forward over the next couple months but you know I think that that's that and I hope that they can sort of pseudo mend the situation they're definitely not going to be able to mend the situation to their full effect uh, as they would have if they would have been able to make some of the trades that we had um, theorized but I think they can sort of mitigate some of the gaps that they have if they do take you know, some, the proper precautions regarding the buyout market and the development of some a couple of guys, but it, it's really going to be contingent upon that. And they, they are going to have to, you know, bear some, you know, fortunate luck in regards to that sort of stuff to actually, you know, see if things are able to come into fruition in a, in a way that they would have similarly been had they made a trade. They're going to definitely have to bear some luck there. Um, so next up, let's let's go ahead and get into Chris Silva and 
him re-signing on a 10-day contract. It just, this just happened about an hour ago. I'm not really taking too too much credence into it, and we've barely seen him play in a Mavericks uniform, but we didn't really get to cover him much amidst the trades and everything happening last week. So I, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on him as a player. The Mavericks signed him to a second 10-day contract here. If they sign him to another one, then they sign him for the rest of the year. Now, I do want to preach flexibility with this. The Mavericks do have 15 roster spots under lock at the moment. Uh, but if they were to release Silva or they were to waive somebody else or they just waited till Silva's 10-day expires, they could easily get another guy on the buyout market. And I, I doubt that Chris Silva is some sort of guy that they're keeping undergrounds no matter what. So I would definitely preach flexibility if there's any of you guys out there that are scared he's not he's going to hold us back from getting a buyout guy but nonetheless uh what do you think of his game and and do you think that there's anything he could provide to this team that they don't already have because I mean he's got an interesting archetype as a player yeah I think uh regarding his play uh, I mean we really haven't seen him play a whole lot uh he played a little bit in the Utah game and I'm going to be honest I wasn't really paying too much attention um but I think sort of the archetype of what he can theoretically bring is that sort of wing defender in a sense um he's like the four he can guard three through five I guess you can put it um and that's sort of an archetype player that we just really don't have um we need so really I think, badly. yeah and we need yeah really badly he's that's a guy who can also I think you know he, he's a really good rebounder he's a guy in the G League that has played some small ball five he can play a little bit beyond his means but he can also defend you know, the threes and fours. So that the appeal with him is really interesting. It yeah. just kind of depends. Now, I would push back on the fact that he's a rim protector. He just simply doesn't have the size to be, you know, a weak side rim protector, though he, he can block shots and spurts, but he, he's not the solvent for that issue. But in terms of, you know, being maybe a bigger wing or a small ball five in some lineups, I, I think he's an interesting archetype as a player. Obviously, the questions emanate from his offensive game. We saw him make a little post hook over seven foot four Walker Kessler in that jazz game, but we we have yet to really see too much of his offensive game. And I know that that's kind of been the gripe with many in regards to his NBA career not panning out the way some have hoped. You know, you got a little bit of that stint in Miami, but that's really about it. You know, just him being able to shoot and have you know some sort of role game is going to be contingent on him staying here, but I, I think defensively it would be really interesting to see if he could actually provide any sort of impact for the Mavericks if they go the route of playing him a little bit more, which would I'd be intrigued to see if they do. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, again, I mean, preaching flexibility here. It, he's a guy that we just simply don't have the luxury of really having a lot of, like guys that can guard three through five, like I said. Uh, but I think this is more so just to, to fill a roster spot right now um and you know see what you can do in the buyout market because he would probably be the first guy to be out and you know there's a list of other guys that you can name off but this is more of a a flexibility in terms of roster means I think than anything else but if he does get to play cool uh I think he's a guy that you never know uh he could be used in a playoff series to guard heck Kevin Durant now like I'm not saying he can guard Kevin Durant but he's we have nobody on the roster I know when you're saying that I think a lot of people may have some pushback, but I think you're more yeah. alluding to if things were to pan out, work him, out. Yeah. yeah. Yes. You're not saying like, that, that. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying he's, he's going to be that no. right now. Yeah. No, I'm, yeah. I'm just saying, you know, if the Mavericks backup, backup, backup plan 
comes to waste, you know, there's always that guy. And he's really the only guy on this roster. And that's saying a lot. He's really the only guy on this roster that can guard those sort of long wings. Except for, I mean, AJ Lawson, I think he's, you know, he's six, six, maybe six, seven, and he has a good wingspan. I think he can guard threes and fours and spurts, but he definitely doesn't have the ability to guard three through five, like Chris Silva does, you know, the only other guy that we really had, that could do that beforehand. That's now gone is Dorian. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see if he could, if they could institutionalize him into the rotation whatsoever, but we'll just have to see as we go forward. Obviously we're not putting a lot of stock into that happening, but you know, we're going to get into AJ Lawson here in a second too, because I think he's a little bit more promising, but both of those guys to an effect are guys that if their skill set did end up panning out and if they got the necessary minutes, if they were to, you know, catch wind and be able to go a little farther on the developmental track than we initially project, even though Chris Silva is like 26, you know, if he, if he kind of just catches fire, both of those guys are guys that I'm looking to that could bear a lot of, you know, sort of newfound, potential for this Mavericks team if they pan out though it is a very slim margin that both of those guys pan out if they were to uh, that could do a lot for this team I think is where I'm at even though it's a very very slim margin I, I, I agree with you yeah um, but nonetheless let's go ahead and get into a little bit of Kyrie extension talk because just because there's been some discourse among uh, Mavs Twitter and things of that nature of you know what the whole direction is in terms of Kyrie re-signing or not re-signing after the trade deadline, the Mavericks not going all in, you know, we're not going to necessarily absolutely hammer this home and go into intricate detail regarding it. You know, it's not the off season and there, I think there is cringe to the fact that it's going to be a big sort of wait and see type of deal, but obviously it does pertain to the Mavericks not doing anything at the trade deadline and that obviously could have ramifications in terms of how far they go in the playoffs and things of that nature. So that's why I wanted to sort of delve into this topic a little bit. Jaron, um, if you had to guess how far the Mavericks are going to go with this current roster, if they don't do anything, what would your prediction be? So, yeah, I mean, assuming this roster doesn't make any changes and this is, you know, the roster that we're looking at right now is the roster that we're going to see headed into the playoffs. Um, I still think this is at the very worst, a second round team. Um, I think it would be a disappointment to say if we exited in the first round at any point, doesn't really matter who we play. Um, cause I still, at this point, I view this team as a possible three seed. Now, um, I know Phoenix got really better or really good now. Um, Denver's still really good. Uh, but I, I think we can hop the teams like Memphis, uh, Sacramento, of course, I think we can hop those teams now. Um, so I, I view this team as a four or three seed and I think, a first-round exit would, of course, be disappointing. Um, at the very worst, I think this is a second-round late – or at the very best, I think that this is a Western Conference rebirth and at least a late a late second-round exit. Um, I just don't see this team being a finals team yet, especially because of the moves that they didn't make um, in the trade deadline. We're going to see, you know, if they can make moves in the buyout market, of course, but – with this current rendition of the roster, I think this is still a highly touted team, uh, but I just don't view them as highly as they possibly could have been. And that could have been a championship winning team. Um, and of course, Phoenix got amazing. So we'll have to see what, you know, sort of entails as the playoffs unfold and, you know, as seating becomes more and more valuable, but uh, I still view this team as a home court 
advantage or home court advantage team now I do I think I'm right there with you in terms of everything that you pinpoint in regards to where exactly they could align you know come playoff time I, I do agree that I think the the sort of ceiling right now is I know a lot of people would push back because they're like oh we have Luca or Kyrie you know we can beat everything but I, I do think that the defensive versatility can catch up at certain points we saw it last year when the Mavericks played the Warriors, you know, they had a top five defense throughout most of the year, but Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleber, um, Reggie Bullock, they were all gassed by the time we got to that Warriors series and them being basically some of our, you know, only main wing defenders and nobody to furbish the back line there, no real rim protector barring Maxi, who, you know, in a lot of those scram switch scenarios had to get matched up on wings and guards in that Warriors series because of the way they played. They didn't really even have the luxury to put another guy back there to be able to defend the rim because, you know, Dwight Powell's not necessarily that guy. He doesn't necessarily have that skill set. So at that point, you're, you know, yes, that they were obviously they had a really good team defense and they, and they had a few talented guys, but they just didn't have the depth and the means to, to really go beyond that. And a team as fast paced as the Warriors, who had as much off ball movement as they did and, you know, has those point of attack guys, um, that versatility between, you know, Clay's movement, Steph's ball handling, and, you know, Wiggins being able to attack from the perimeter, that that caught up to the Mavericks, and, and they just simply didn't have the wherewithal to be able to go up against that, and, you know, their three wing defenders, and or Maxi, however one of you consider him, with, whether it be a rim protector or a wing or a hybrid, whatever, you know, between him, Bullock, and Dorian Finney-Smith, they were just absolutely gassed by that point in the year, and that's my fear with this roster, is that they just don't have you know, I think that they can – I don't think that they're as talented defensively as last year, but I do think that they can survive throughout the regular season, especially when Maxi gets back. I think that they can even survive a first, maybe even second-round playoff series, depending on who they're playing. But once you get to that second and third round, I think that that's when we could see some of the defensive holes really start to be exposed at a premium for this Mavericks team, as we saw last year with this Warrior uh, – in that Warrior series. And that that's my main fear. It's, it's not necessarily how – they can remediate the situation in the near future. Um, but when, you know, things get dire and that's kind of why I wanted to turn this conversation into, you know, the whole Kyrie extension talk, because if the Mavericks, you know, say they are only go to the first or second round or something of that nature, I mean, depending on how far they go or what Kyrie views the ceiling of this team is, is probably going to constitute a lot in terms of, you know, maybe him, having the leniency to want to stay still and, you know, work through those things or saying, screw this, I'm going to leave. So Jaron, obviously I don't think we're ones in this situation to be able to predict Kyrie's behavior in terms of him signing an extension or not. You know, there's obviously been the max figure thrown out there that that's probably what's going to be needed to keep him that four for almost $200 million deal to where he'd be 33 or 34 at the end of that extension or that deal. But you know, I think a lot of questions lie in, you know, if this is a first round exit, is it even worth keeping Kyrie or, or do we just kind of write that off as this solution not working? Um, you know, we need to move on with something else, let Kyrie walk or try to facilitate a sign and trade. There's that or there's Kyrie not being willing, able to or willing or able to stay if the Mavericks, you know, can't get to their des a desired position that he deems fit in the playoffs. So what exactly do you think about that whole dynamic and you know, what do you think it would take for Kyrie to stay this offseason if you had to predict and, you know, vice versa with what do you think 
you know, warrants him staying? Like if the Mavericks don't get to a certain point with him and Luca, do you think that we just kind of write it off as not being able to work? Um, it's a good question. I think, I think Kyrie, there's questions to be brought up. Let's say the Mavericks do go out early in the first round. I think that you do have to question, you know, what that team is. Um, and do you re-sign Kyrie or not? I, I think that there's arguments to be made, but I still believe, and I'm still firm in this position that I think Kyrie knows what he's doing. He can get the most amount of money with the Mavericks. Um, and he, he put the Mavericks in a situation where they have to pay uh, Kyrie and that being, but, and that that's sort of how I'm viewing this. Like I, I think it could change if the Mavericks again, go out early in the first or um, maybe an early second round exit. But I think if this team makes it sort of where they're projected to be uh, I think we could be in totally different conversation. It depends. Of course, we don't know who they talked about um, yesterday regarding, but there is, you know, moves to be made, of course, around this roster. I think if the Mavericks can mend those uh, mend those sort of holes uh, in a way and, you know, sort of point that out or not point that out, but I guess fill those holes in the offseason, which is probably the most applicable. Um, that being we have to re-sign Kyrie if that's the case. But uh, I think that's sort of the the route that this team is going. Uh, but I think it all sort of depends on where this team finishes at the end of the year. Uh, if they can finish again, I mean, in that sort of Western conference or late second round exit um, or even, you know, making it to the finals. Uh, I view Kyrie as pretty much a safe deal, but then again, I mean, we viewed Jalen Brunson as a safe deal and that clearly wasn't. So you never know, but I, I think Kyrie put the Mavericks in a situation yeah, where yeah. they have to resign him. And that's, that's my biggest deal. I think people are forgetting about that. I know the national media is forgetting about that. But I think Kyrie did an amazing job with his camp, putting the Mavericks in the situation where they have to resign him. They have to give him that four-year deal um, to even stay in contention with the LAs and the Phoenixes of the world. Uh, and that's that's sort of I think the biggest the biggest margin uh, for the Kyrie extension talk or however you want to label yeah. it. No, hundred percent. And let's take into account some factors here. Like the Mavericks are going to be over the cap regardless, so. Yeah. It's not as if that they're going to be able to improve marginally via free agent signings. Their improvement that this team's going to have is going to be through, you know, their draft picks or the draft picks that they move via trades, basically. And, you know, you're already so much over the the cap. Oh, my gosh. They're already so much over the cap that whatever you do with Kyrie, especially as the um, the what am I? I'm forgetting the actual word. Oh, the salary cap, especially as the salary cap rises exact you know the effects of a potential deal like that are going to be mitigated as you know max deals become even higher and higher and we'll we'll see that i mean who knows if there's going to be a new cba institutionalized link there's a lot of different things we can dive into regarding that but i mean i think the effects of the contract are going to be mitigated over time to an extent you know i'm not saying that 50 million some odd dollars is still going to be looked at as a net positive when Kyrie's 34. I mean, we don't really know how, how he's going to be at that stage. We've seen a lot of point guards to that um, effect be, be able to, you know, still be all-star caliber players. You look at a Chris Paul, um, you know, Mike Conley is a guy who, you know, maybe he's not an all-star caliber player, but he's still a contributory role player. I mean, if Kyrie could even be that and a mentor to Jaden Hardy and then maybe re-sign at a lower dollar amount if he wanted to, have the rest of his years in Dallas, that would be intriguing to me. It's like things of that nature. But so, so I'm not next necessarily on the train that, Oh, we're paying him this much money at, at that age. I, I 
I think I was initially, but you know, the more and more I looked into it, I'm like, that's really not as bad as say if that contract was taking him to be 35 or 36, you know, yeah. just that year or two difference to when he's like actually in his mid thirties that, cause you know, that's when we really, really see the drop off with star players. I would raise a little more of an eyebrow to that, but you know, obviously the average NBA player shelf life is maybe a year or two beyond they turn 30, but you know, we see these star players being able to play into their mid thirties consistently in this day and age with the technology and the medicine. So I don't know. I, I like you said, Jaron, I, I think they're kind of stranglehold to a position where they have to re-sign him at this point because you can't afford to lose him for nothing unless they're able to f- facilitate some sort of sign and trade. If, if, and, but you have to keep in mind, Kyrie has to agree to that. Uh, mm-hmm. If he doesn't want to help the Mavericks out or the other team doesn't want to, they don't have to. He could just go sign with, sign with them outright if they do clear the cap space. I think the one positive thing that we're looking at here is that a lot of teams this summer do not have cap space barring like, you know, San Antonio, Utah, and Detroit, a few that come to mind. A lot of teams could make cap space. We've seen the ability in the modern NBA for teams to be able to clear cap space at a moment's notice if they so please. And we could see some draft night trades that facilitate that process. But I think as we're looking at it right now, the te- those teams that I said have cap space, Kyrie wouldn't really want to go to. So unless some other teams clear cap space, it would probably at least be a situation where the Maverick, you know, the other team would be forced to do a double sign and trade for the whole situation to work because they simply wouldn't have the cap space to sign Kyrie. But I mean, there's a lot to dive into regarding that. I think the best case scenario is like, if you're looking at it at face value is the Mavericks are in a position where, you know, you would prefer to not lose them for nothing. If another team's able to clear cap. And I mean, who knows if you're even going to get equal return in a trade like that because of as the Mavericks, I mean, I don't even know if the Nets got equal return in terms of Kyrie, the basketball player. They may have got equal return for his value because of the off-court stuff. But Kyrie, the basketball player, they probably didn't get equal return on that deal, only getting one, you know, one first-round pick. So that those are all things to be taken into consideration. You know, I'd rather avoid that situation, sign him outright, especially if the pairing with Luka works. If they exit in the first round and there's like somehow just issues with them sharing the ball or something like that, that's a whole other topic of discussion. But I think as it currently stands, the best case scenario is just to re-sign him at whatever dollar amount. Hope that the effects of that contract are mitigated as the salary cap rises and, you know, run with it. He's, he's still kind of be going to be at the tail end of his prime for most of that contract. I think he's still very solid, you know, throughout most of the, that contract. I mean, maybe barring the last year or two. So that's kind of the position we're in. And that's kind of where our hand is, is being forced here. I, I don't know if there's any other way to look at it. What do you think, Jim? I mean, I really don't see. Yeah, I mean, like that. that's, of course, like the most surface value you can get in terms of talking Kyrie contract. But I think we pretty much lay, laid it all out. Um, I mean, it'll be interesting moving forward what they what, what happens, I guess. Uh, we've seen these sort of situations fold and we've seen them, you know, play into the team's effect. Yes. Or play I, I think favor, you know, so. regardless of how you view the Christian Wood situation with him, I mean, there I don't think that there's any sort of person on Mavs Twitter or anybody in the Mavs fandom that can justify losing Kyrie for nothing, though, is what I'm insinuating. You either have to do a sign and trade or you have to re-sign him, preferably re-sign him if it works out. And if the Mavericks get to the second or third round and they're not able to go further than that, we can point to some things that aren't Kyrie and Luka specific as to why they may have not got that far. But if they only go to the first or second round, that's when we have those discussions of, oh, is this actually going to be able to work? You know, that's, a, that, that's, that's, I think, is a sort of brief summation of it all. But nonetheless, let's go ahead and dive into these bar, buyout markets. Just kind of hammer these guys quick. 
you don't necessarily have to go into um, finite detail about everybody, but let's at least, you know, mention some names and what the Mavericks might be able to do from here on out if they please to go this route. I think a big topic of discussion in regards to how the Mavericks can improve is, you know, we talked about Chris Silva, but AJ Lawson as well. This is a guy that's a bigger wing defender, you know, a six, 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 seven frame has added some muscle since he's, since he was here in summer league noticeably. And, you know, if he can hit his threes and be a guy that can close, attack off a closeout run in transition. I mean, this is good. This could be a very capable three and D role player. I know he's on a two, a two way contract and I'm not putting just a ton of stock into him being able to marginally, or even vastly improve this Mavericks team. But if he, if, if the development track uh, sort of comes up to speed on this guy and we, we see some positive effects start to come into fruition as he's been playing a little bit more recently, if, if those things start to continue to precipitate, I mean, this is a guy that could really elevate the Mavericks in terms of their depth and their Aurora role players. So I just want to get your quick opinions on that. Um, before I we hammer through these buyout guys, because I think he could definitely remediate the need for a wing or even a bigger wing if he if he is able to development and really come up to speed this season. Yeah, I mean, I agree um, to an extent. I, I think, yeah, like you said, like you don't need to be putting a whole lot of stock in this guy because at the end of the day, he is a two-way contract. But at the same time, if you're looking, you know, elsewhere and you're looking to not sort of make moves around this team now um he's a guy that you have to i mean they can't really to. do in regards to wings at the deadline and wings yeah like there's yeah. there's zero wings on the like on i'm the not bucket. saying that he's a cure-all and that he um is going to remediate the need to do something in the offseason but in terms of us looking at some stopgap measures for right now I, I this is one that i look to if that's if we're looking at improving internally yeah internally yeah i like i like the way you put that but um yeah i mean we see with like teams like the Warriors, uh, like it seems like every championship run they have, it's it's sort of like these two way guys are producing at a level that like normal two way guys don't. I mean, you can look at it this year, Anthony Lamb, um, and even you know 2017, 18, whenever they had Patrick McCall, like guys like that. Um, if we can just find some sort of value, and it doesn't, you know, I I think yeah, finding value is probably the big thing. Um, he can be that sort of wing defender because we saw in the summer league, like he can, he can defend. Um, and I, I, I'm not, again, you know, I'm not going to hold too much value because at the end of the day, he has a two way contract, but if we can find some sort of value with him, uh, he can be that sort of, I, and I don't want to call him a main sort of three, four defender, but he can really come off the bench and sort of hammer a lot of the defensive needs that we need off the bench. Cause at the, at this point, I don't know how you're viewing the starting lineup, but, there is like zero defense coming off the bench. Um, yeah. Outside of Maxi, if you view him starting. Uh, but yeah, that's a, that's definitely a topic of discussion for another pod and what they're going to do with the whole starting lineup. But yeah, this, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of things you can change now. Yeah. Um, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with the Christian Wood situation as he comes further up to speed and everything as they keep him. The, these are all real intriguing things to get into. But I mean, nonetheless, like the whole starting lineup situation is, you know, really codependent on Christian Wood and Maxi working out together if, if that whole situation materializes or if the Mavericks view Christian Wood as a guy that needs to come off the bench now with, with the White Pals continued, not stellar play, but, you know, stable stability, I guess, right? Yes. So that's that's going to really be contingent on what they do with that starting lineup at, at those big spots. Um, but I think that 
Kyrie, Luca, and Josh is very much kind of set in stone and ingrained. So that much is that, is that weird. That's our like big three right now. Yeah, well, I mean, big, <laughs> I'd push back on big three. You need a another star, but those are like the the three most coveted players on the team, um, without a shadow of a doubt. Nonetheless, let's go ahead and get into this buyout market discussion. I'm going to go ahead and name you a bunch of buyout guys. These are all the guys that have been seen as somewhat available on the buyout market, or there's been some smoke to the fact or that they may get bought out or something like that, or just most likely given their situations, you know, maybe one or two. I'm sure obviously a few of these guys will just end up staying with their team, but let's go ahead and hash all these guys out and, you're just going to tell me yes or no at first. And then if there's any guys after this list that we want to take a deeper dive into, we will. Okay. So first off is Russell Westbrook. Would you like to? I would say, I would say yeah. yeah. You'd sign him with that last buyout spot. Well, keep in mind the Mavericks could also clear two buyout spots. If they don't sign Silva and then want to wave like Frank or something. I doubt they'd wave Theo Pinson because of the whole vibes thing and, you know, his stellar play versus the Clippers the other day. But um, they, they could end up doing, you know, two buyout spots if, if they're really so pleased with some of these guys. So we'll see how that situation ends up sort of uh, moving along. But, you know, just going down this list and saying, if you would take this guy in a buyout, yes or no, is all we're doing right now. All right, Kevin Love. Yeah. Patrick Beverly. Mm, no. Derek Rose. Yeah. Will Barton. Yeah, I would take him. John Wall. No. Reggie Jackson. Hmm. Uh, I, I think I would, yeah. Danny Green. Yes. Serge Ibaka. No. George Hill. No. Nerlens Noel. Yeah. Terrence Ross. Hmm. No. I don't think with THJ still on the roster. Yeah, I was about to say, I, was like, I don't see him. Yeah. If THJ got moved, he was a guy in the Magic that I could have been – I could have saw coming back in some sort of like three-for-three three trade with Harris and, you know, Bomba or something, but that never ever – that never came into fruition. All right, last up is Corey Joseph. No. Okay. What guys did you specifically want to take a deeper dive into first? Let's, let's run with some of the guards that you said yes to. Um, let's go with Westbrook. What would make you want to bring Russell Westbrook onto the Mavericks? Because – we talked about a little bit this before the pod, but this is a guy that you're you definitely fancy in terms of. I, I don't know if I'd put it fancy, but oh. <laughs> in terms of the buyout market, he's definitely a guy that can bring a lot of value in terms of what else is there. Um, yes, I know the efficiency is like a really big question, but if you can sign him at a, a, a low dollar and just have him off the oh, bench, I'm sure he would sign for a minimum given his contract this year. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. making like 44 million. So, exactly. Well, yeah, very true. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, given a low dollar amount and off the bench role, I think that he could really flourish. We saw it in LA at times where he is really elevated into, into a play of like a six man of the year type level. Um, not saying he is that now, but I'm just saying, you know, he's a guy that can bring a little bit of offense. He can bring effort. Um, you know, defense is a big question, of course. And at this point, you know, it depends on what kind of role – or I guess what kind of way you want to point towards if you yeah. should go Yeah, I mean, he's offense. a very intense player. Like, his defense comes yeah. and converts. But, exactly. You know, we it, have it, there, there are those times where he's, like, lackadaisical and gets caught ball watching. Exactly. Um, so, I think, you know, if you're looking to fill that pseudo 
you know, ball handling position, I think that you look towards him and he'd probably be the top guy at that position for me. Yeah, no, I, I see where you're coming from on that for sure. I don't necessarily, you know, I think if he is bought in and he understands his role and we see some actual, you know, keen decision-making on his part and, you know, the, the efficiency is a little bit better. We don't take him, see him shooting as much. I mean, he's obviously had a better season with Los Angeles this year versus the previous year where he was almost like an albatross. You know, I, I think that for a minimum, like if, you, if you're looking for a solvent to the third ball handler situation, if that's your prerogative, I think he might be the best guy to go here. Yeah, maybe I mean, barring Derek Rose, but but I just don't know if that's the position of need for me personally that I would look to as much as some of these other positions. But I get the appeal with what you're saying for sure. Yeah, I, I was just going to point out one more thing. Like in terms of the third ball handling position and his efficiency or lack of efficiency, I should say, at the shooting point, um, the ball wouldn't necessarily be in his hands whenever the shot goes up because theoretically off the bench, you would either have one of uh, Josh, Reggie, or Tim. And those are both, those are all three shooters right there. Uh, I mean, Josh kind of not, but Reggie and Tim are for sure shooters. And then of course, Christian Wood. I mean, I think at the start before Maxi comes back, he's probably a guy that comes off the bench. So those are guys I think that take the ball out of his hands in terms of shots attempted. Uh, and I think that would be key. So. No, I a hundred percent agree. And I think one of the big draws to him as well is the fact that he is a playmaker. A lot of these third ball hand or types. I mean, even looking at the Mavericks current third ball hand or situation that is sort of a conglomerate of Josh McKinley, Wright And Jaden Hardy all filling in the gaps like Westbrook provides two things that, you know, for a fact, I mean, he about, uh, provides the ability to attack and play make. Those are always, those have always been constants in his game, even if some of the, uh, like the shooting and some of the other stuff has fallen off. So, you know, you just hope that he's more locked in on defense than not. And I, I wouldn't put him at the top of my list, but if we're going the third ball in our route and some of the other guys fall off the board, then sure. If you just really want to sign a guy, I, I guess then I would probably take him number one as it, as it currently stands, just because, you know, he's having a little, better, a little bit better of a season than not. What was your drawback on Patrick Beverly? Because this is a guy that I think I, you know, if some other guys fell off the board, I'd probably say yes to. You said no to him. What, what was your reasoning for that? Yeah, okay. Let me just clarify. If there was, you know, everybody off the board, he was the one available, and you're looking at a guard defender, I think that you have to take him in that position. Uh, but just with, like, the acquisition of Frank, or not acquisition, but just with him on the roster, I think it kind of makes Patrick Beverly a little redundant. Um, and at this point in the season, Patrick Beverly was, like, he, he's been nothing of, you know, the last few years of what we've seen of him. Like, in L.A., super inefficient. His three-point shooting, like, went off the rails. And I know he's not a strong three-point shooter to start with, but mm. it was, like, He's low. had some good seasons, but, like, where he shot above. Yeah, it, it was, like, mid to high 20s, I want to say, on L.A. Yeah, and, I mean, um, the defense, he's been pesky, but it hasn't been what it once was. It has, yeah, exactly. Um, So, I think if he can rekindle some of that, I'd be more than willing to bring him in. But just right now with his current sort of – rendition of who he is like I just don't really you know I'm not really interested in a player yeah. like that no I mean I definitely can reciprocate what you said about them needing a guy who at least has the ability to guard up like I mean Danny Green preferably mm -hmm. you want to stick on you know guys that are probably like one through three but you know with the Mavericks point of attack defenders currently they can use as many guys that if they have to in a situation guard a three or a four who I mean, in the current NBA is look you're looking at like your Kawhi's your Paul George's your Giannis's you, you know not necessarily stop any of those guys so you can't but 
you know, mitigate some of the effects of them. And those are the type of guys that you're looking at because I, I'm not as concerned, you know, with McKinley Wright's emergence, you know, Kyrie's not a solid, he's not bad. And, you know, obviously Josh Green's a great point of attack defender. He can defend threes and fours and stretches, but you're obviously starting to stretch it out a little bit when you ask him to start guarding big men and things of that nature. So I, I would definitely, you know, if that, if some of those wings, you know, there's only like one or two because there's just not many at all. Um, but if like Danny Green, maybe Barton fell off the board, then Beverly's a guy I would definitely look to, but he's definitely not my first option. I would, I would tend to agree with you there. Um, Reggie Jackson, I don't know if we want to dive too deep into. You said that you'd take him. I don't know. He, he's had a kind of wildly inefficient season for the Clippers this year. I think I would probably go with no on him um, just because he's not providing you much. I mean, he's an okay defense. I don't know. He's, he's a pretty <laughs> average defender. Yeah. And with some of the offensive efficiency falling off, I mean, at least with Beverly, you have a track record of good defense there. Jackson is, you know, definitely made his mark in terms of attacking and, his shot creation. So I don't know if I'm necessarily all too giddy about adding him to the roster, but what, what's your reasoning for saying yes to him? I mean, like, look, the the position at which he plays is just really thin. Um, I know the bio market is probably more guards than not, but um, I just think if you're looking to fill anything, uh, there's really not a whole lot of wings, of course. And there's, I mean, maybe two centers that are, you know, good defensive. No, I didn't mention one of them. We have Dwayne Dedman. He, he's. Oh yeah. Dwayne Dedman. I, I mean, he's too old. So, um, but yeah, I think if you're just looking to fill more offense, I think you look at Reggie Jackson, but at the, at this point, I'm not high. I'd probably put him in a C tier or B tier in terms of buyout guys. Uh, but yeah, the, the inefficiency does scare me and we've seen multiple inefficient guys, Kimball Walker, um, heck Falcon, like guys like that just, don't have a role on this team. And I, I I would wonder if it would sort of be that with him. Yeah. And I mean, he's more of a scoring type too. He's not necessarily a guy that's going to come in and change up the playmaking aspect of things like a Westbrook would. That's why if we are going the third ball handle route, I definitely would agree with you that Westbrook's probably my top guy there. Cause I mean, uh, yeah. Derek Rose isn't like the playmaker that Westbrook is right now. Um, you know, I'll, I'll save Nerlens for last, but let's go ahead and go, you know, Go over Will Barton and Derek Rose for me, because you said yes to both of those guys. What do they both bring, and why would you be keen on bringing them in? Yeah, Derek Rose, I mean, he definitely, I think, would fill in that sort of third ball handler position, as we alluded to a minute ago. Um, you know, he's had a very, very up and down year, but if you can rekindle, and I know he's, he's, his age is a factor at this point, but if you can rekindle anything of what he did the past two years, even three years, um, I think that would be really key. I know defense is a big struggle for him, and that's sort of why in New York, at least at the beginning of the season, he didn't really have a role. Um, I, I just, you know, if anything, you look to fill at least something, and I think that's sort of a yeah, guy, yeah. you know, he brings good veteran mentorship, and that's something I think this roster kind of needs, especially with Hardy on the roster. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's a, he's a good facilitator in the sense that, you know, he's not flashy or anything like that, and he can, he can get what's his. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's sort of what I would bring to the table if you're bringing Derek Rose. Uh, in terms of Will Barton, um, he's had a very down year in terms of what we've seen in the past. I was very high on him. You know, ask me two years ago or a year ago, I would say, yeah, heck yes, do what you can do to get him. Uh, but he's definitely fallen off the table in terms of, you know, age and defense and everything that was sort of his trademark has sort of fallen off. 
um, that being defense, of course. I think if he can rekindle in a systematic defense away what he's been able to do the past few years, I would be more than willing to bring him, yeah. of course, on a veteran. I think I think any of these guys you have to bring on a yeah. veteran. I mean, especially uh, at Barton, like, you look at the fact that if he's playing a little bit less minutes than he is with Washington, you just really need, like, 15, 20 minutes of defense and some, you know, tertiary playmaking and shot creation, mainly shot creation because, I mean, he's obviously doesn't have the most insane playmaking track record. That's where you start talking about a guy that could actually provide something to the team because, I mean, he can guard probably, like, ones, twos, and maybe even threes or uh, used to be able to, but – you know, with his defense declining as much as it has this past sort of season and a half and, you know, the scoring just not what it once was in Denver, uh, you know, when he was in that age range of kind of being 31 or under, he's 32 now. It does give me some hesitancy there. He's definitely not my first option. If you want to take a gamble on him, then go for it. Um, next two guys, let's look at Serge Ibaka and Nerlens Noel. You said both – I mean, you said no to Serge – you said yes to Nerlens. I think I would probably say no to Serge too, because there's been just a huge decline in his lateral quickness and, you know, his age and everything. I still think he is that he's definitely less of the, you know, weak side rim protector that he once was in his career and more of the, you know, that five who can switch, uh, kind of play small ball five to an extent and switch on to some threes and fours. But even then there's a lot more guys that can do that effectively than he does, but that is kind of the role that he would play. Nerlens is, you know, he's sort of that uh, tried and true, um, you know, rim protector, right? And I think that there obviously have been some things that you have to have some drawbacks on with him, especially the fact that I think he's only played 14 games this year. He's out of the Pistons rotation. Um, I mean, kind of by virtue of the fact that Jalen Duran and Isaiah Stewart are there. But, you know, in my opinion, the reason I am most intrigued and view him as the number one guy that I would want to go after is the fact that, I mean, he's only 28, which isn't as old as I expected, admittedly. And only a season and a half ago, he started 41 games in the 2020-2021 season for the Knicks and averaged 2.2 blocks a game and played almost the whole season. Then he obviously had some of those effects minimized by injuries last year in New York and then got traded to the Pistons. and. A lot of people will bring up the argument that Bogdanovich and Alec Burks, those are two guys that came old, over that are older that are still prominent in that Pistons rotation, but they also don't have as many guys at their position, you know, that they're really having to go up against. I, I think with Nerland specifically, you know, there have been some games where Duran and Stewart didn't even play that Nerlens didn't play either, but I think a lot of it just – comes by virtue of the fact that a guy in his situation, he may not necessarily care to, you know, he, he may not be looking at it more as a mentorship thing, admittedly, because, you know, he's 28. He thinks he probably still has a little bit, like a couple years in the tank left and in him before, you know, he's more of that veteran who is just sort of mentoring young guys. And I, I don't know, I think there's maybe some contempt there. And in terms of him, maybe not expelling as much effort, I don't know for sure, but just, I, I don't know. I think there's, there's some credence to that. I don't think it's just, oh, he sucks and he's not an NBA player all of a sudden after a season and a half ago. I mean, you know, take this with a grain of salt. I'm not saying that he was one of the best centers in the league or that he was even one of the best defensive centers in the league. But 
he was one of the best rim protectors in the league. I mean, he was averaging damn near two and a half blocks a game. And he started half the season for the Knicks. And, you know, I get he doesn't have the most size. He could get cooked against some bigger guys having to defend one-on-one and in space. But in sort of in terms of being a weak side rim protector, which this team sorely needs, especially next to a guy like Christian Wood, um, it, you know, especially you don't want Maxie's knees to fall off a cliff after the amount of wear and tear we've seen him take over these last couple of years. And seemingly every time that he really starts to catch fire, he gets hurt because he's having to compensate beyond his means, things of that nature. I think it's worth the gamble and there's not really a gamble to be taken because they're either signing him with an empty roster spot or they're waiting Frank. So I don't know. I, I just don't think there's too many drawbacks. If he doesn't work out, he doesn't work out, but I think he's at a position of need that transcends some of those other guys in the buyout market, even though I acknowledge a lot of the other guys in the buyout market are better and have way better productive seasons than him. I still think he's just at too much of a position of need for the Mavs to not dive into and look into. Yeah. I, I know you view Nerland's way higher than I do. And I'm not saying I don't view Nerland's very high at all, but um, I think the biggest thing that you look in Nerland's yes, you know, just a year and a half ago, he was doing the two 2.2 blocks per game. Uh, but more so you're looking for him to alleviate pressure off of Maxi because we saw right. multiple times last year and even this year where, you know, pressure gets up to Maxi and he's going to get hurt uh, just due to his sheer fit or usage rate, I guess you should say. Um, I, mean, he's, I he's, think he's above 30 now. He's yeah, he's above 30. Um, a lot of injuries in the past, you know, two years. Uh, so I think if you're bringing Nerlens, you're bringing a guy who's just going to take some pressure off. Um, yeah. Heck, you never know if you need him in a playoff series just to, you know, he's not the biggest guy in the world. I don't think he can body with Kavon Looney or even DeAndre Ayton for that matter. But I think he's a guy that can. He can clean up the mess he, at the rim. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what the Mavericks don't have. Uh, I love Maxie and all, but he's not that. And I don't well, want I mean, him to be Maxie, that, I think, can be that. But where the problem can, lies yeah, but, with him is that they ask him to also defend the perimeter. And yeah, I think with he's just here, the yeah, I think with Nerland's here, having Maxie defend the perimeter a little more, um, you know, you can still ask him to be a, a weak side rim protector, but it'll remediate the need for that and him to do that a little less. Like he'll be able to freelance a little more in the perimeter. And I, I think that that just, you know, him having to bang up against these guys, then go guard smalls. I mean, that's just a lot. Like if you can kind of not stick him to just doing one thing, but, you know, have him, predominantly do one thing and then sort of only in stretches either rim protect or guard in the perimeter whatever they kind of choose with that yeah I would agree um yeah like I said I know you view him much higher but uh Nerlens, he brings a lot to the table and I think in terms of everybody that we just listed he might do the most uh but I I just think you know it depends on what this team sort of is going forward uh if they want defense I think Nerlens is the way to go if they want offense and you look at a Westbrook you um uh whoever else we listed i mean heck even will Eric barton Rose, yeah will barton yeah no i i tend to agree with you My, me personally i just think that this team needs rim protection and wing defense more than anything i think that that's where the strides that this team will make in terms of how good they can be will either be made here in the buyout market but probably in the offseason in terms of them reaching their potential so i mean lastly you, there's there's one more guy that i think is a sort of conflicting point of interest here and you said yes to kevin love i don't think there's anybody else in that list that we really need to take a look into but I, I feel like for me that's a pretty vehement no on that front in terms of you know us not needing another stretch for already having Davis and 
I don't know. I, I just don't think it's a position of need whatsoever. I mean, maybe if you're, if you think that he has something in the tank with the rebounding and you think that that's a sort of solvent to some of the Mavericks rebounding issues, that's your prerogative. But I mean, just no defense. He's, he's not providing any playmaking or anything if you're looking at an offensive perspective. So I was just curious to see what your sort of standpoint on that was. Were you viewing him as a sort of like veteran presence that this team sorely needs? Like what was your prerogative with that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to kind of retake what I said. I, I, at this point I would fill in no. Um, cause yeah, I mean, looking more into it, like we do have guys like Davis, heck even Powell, uh, and Christian Wood. I think that those, those fill more needs than what Kevin Love would bring. Um, really the only positive I think Kevin Love would bring is a, a really good locker room presence. Cause yeah, I mean, he's, he's a good veteran guy. Um, and also big just, mental health advocate guy and he's yeah he, yeah big yeah. yeah I think him and Kyrie would definitely get along because of their days back they in, have in the past yeah, they, yeah they were good um, friends yeah but outside of that I don't really see him being you know much of a positive I think if you're bringing him sort of in a role to just you know kind of the the Udonis or uh, the Haslam Udonis Haslam geez I don't know why I was but just just a guy that you know sits on the bench but he's a really good locker room guy I think if you're looking at more like that might as yeah. well take it, but we also have Theo Pinson. So yeah, no, 100%. I, I think, I, I think, I think it would maybe there maybe be a discussion warranted if Davis wasn't was on an expiring instead of a contract he's on now. And you would rather bring in shooting in a locker room presence versus just shooting. Uh, Cause both of those guys can't play defense and you know, the relationship with Kyrie there is sort of an appeasement move, but with Davis still having years out on his contract, I just don't, think that it's worthwhile when there's bigger needs at play here so uh, anyways I mean I don't, I don't really have anything else in terms of us covering um you know the trade deadline and you know buyout guys things of that nature did you have any parting thoughts before we go ahead and end this one yeah I mean just just one little thing um I think if you're looking at the trade deadline there was there was a, a lot of teams that got better and that the, I mean they they include the west um I think Denver got a little bit better of course, the Clippers, Lakers, Phoenix, of course, got better. Warriors. Um, yeah, Warriors. Portland uh, took I mean, a step Pelicans, back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Portland took a step back. Like, there are some sellers in this team, but or sellers in this uh, conference, but um, Pelicans are still there. Memphis is still there. Like, it, this is going to be a loaded playoffs. It doesn't matter who you're playing. It's going to be it's going to be a factor. But um, I think the Mavericks did improve, but also, you know, looking at Phoenix and everything like that, you just have to – um think big picture uh, I think that's a team we meet up in the playoffs of course but I, I wish the Mavericks would have made some moves to compete with Phoenix and even Denver um but outside of that I think I think that pretty much covers everything no 100% yeah I think that there's some things that they I mean I don't, I'm not going to say there's things that couldn't they could have or um, couldn't have done because we just have to see as those details dissipate as I mentioned at the top of the pod but you know we do have to acknowledge that a lot of these teams got better like the Clippers the Warriors um, obviously, probably the Suns, even though they gave up so much, I'm sure they'll get some buyout guys. So it, it, I don't know. It's it's a sticky situation from the perspective that they did get marginally like a lot better with the Kyrie move, of course, um, even though they do lose Spencer and Dorian. I mean, you know, you really if you really want to look at it, you I mean, you get a huge upgrade to Spencer and then just lose Dorian from that sense. Right. Yeah. But at the same time. You know they we preach them going all in at this deadline if they could to improve the team as much as they can to have it because you know you don't you just don't know the shelf life of what Kyrie's tenure could be here 
So the fact that they unfortunately weren't able to do that sucks, but we have to proceed forward and see if they're able to make moves around the trade deadline, if they can get far enough to where, you know, we can justify their failures or their, their shortcomings by, you know, just not having another wing or another rim protector come the trade deadline or something like that. Not the trade deadline, but the off season, um, you know, when, or, you know, if they, if they really just fall short, like a first round exit or something like that, like, that point maybe we look at the Kyrie Luka fit but obviously we haven't even seen the play together so it's going to be interesting to see how we pr- uh, proceed forward but you know summation is they they could still get better marginally if they bear some positive um play and development from AJ Lawson or Chris Silva or the, you know they go out and get a rim protector or even if they add like one of those third ball handlers that we had mentioned even maybe a Danny Green but at the if he's able to kind of come into fruition after a very terrible first three games with the Grizzlies. But at the end of the day, um, oh, we didn't mention Danny Green, but, I mean, brief thoughts on him, I guess, are good wing defender. He's the only wing defender on that list that we were talking about in terms of those buyout guys. And I would welcome him with open arms, uh, you know, more so than a lot of those guys. He's honestly probably my second guy I would defer to, but there's a lot of question marks in terms of if his defense would hold up at 35 years old, if he could still be, a guy that contributes just because coming off an ACL tear at that age and, you know, having a bad first three games with the Grizzlies, I'm kind of skeptical, but take a chance on him. Sure. But yeah, that's really about all I got. And we'll see what happens as we go down the line. But nonetheless, if you guys haven't already, make sure you're following us on Twitter at mainstream underscore Mavs. It's where we post all our updates, we live tweet, everything like that. Make sure that you are, following us and give us a five-star rating on Apple podcasts and Spotify. If you so please, if you do enjoy the podcast, we would really appreciate it. Appreciate that. That helps us out a lot. And for the YouTube gang out there, if you guys don't know already, we are on YouTube now as of like the last, like, I don't know, like 10 or 15 podcasts, make sure you subscribe, like, and comment down below. What is going to be the final score of this Mavericks Kings game? It was just announced that Luka Doncic is actually going to be officially ruled out for tonight's game, but he is, promised or not promised but he's primed to sort of return here on the Saturday game per him in a recent interview so another this is probably the last Luca less game before we see the Kyrie Luca debut which is going to be very enticing and intriguing which we're all excited for so comment down below um how excited you are for that debut as well but barring that make sure to just like and subscribe to the video if, you, if we don't have anything else we will catch you guys after tonight's game Mavs versus Kings round one no Luca but we still got Kyrie Bye-bye.